Hey Zebra friends, my name is Neil and welcome to this, the 51st episode of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We are here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of pop culture, film, TV and nuss from our studio to your speakers. I forgot my intro. I'm joined, of course, of course, but of course, uh, but of course. by my very own boy Wonder Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. Don't ask me how I am, just get on with it. Okay. <laughs> Coming up on this week's show, we're going to be covering a little bit of news very, very quickly, and then we're going to dive in to a four-hour and two-minute review of Zack Snyder's Justice League. No, I'm kidding. I don't know how long it's going to be, but it certainly won't be four hours and two minutes, unlike the film. How you doing? I'm all right. Okay. On with the news. First headline this week is the news that Warner Brothers has announced that Godzilla vs. Kong will release in the UK on pay video on demand services from April the 1st. This film was due for release uh, slightly earlier, a couple of weeks earlier, uh, in America via the, the Warner Brothers 2021 method of uh, HBO Max versus theatre. We kind of weren't expecting it to release in the UK just yet because cinemas were obviously still closed and not planning to open until mid-May. But Warner Brothers has confirmed that they will be going ahead and releasing the film on pay video on-demand services from April the 1st. Are they really? That Yes, it's not an April Fool's joke. <laughs> it is It is genuinely, I've received a press release, it is releasing on pay video on-demand services on April the 1st. We just got a very exciting sneak peek at two tracks from the soundtrack, which is by Tom Hockenborg, otherwise known as Junkie XL, who's also doing the soundtrack for Zack Snyder's Justice League. He has released a Kong theme and a Godzilla theme, which you can listen to on streaming services now. It's very, very cool. It's epically uh, Hockenborg in its sound. Not quite his usual drums, but um, it's got that epic style of his that comes from being trained by Hans Zimmer. I'm not going to ask you if you're excited about this one because we've talked about it before. You just go, meh, meh. So we'll just wait and see what happens on April the 1st when it comes out. Or not. Now then, I think it's quite safe to say that we're big fans of Scott Snyder in this house, isn't it? Moderately. I'm talking Scott Snyder, not Zack Snyder, just very clarifying. Good. Very good, very good. Image Comics has confirmed that the first issue of uh, Scott Snyder and artist... Tony Salvador Daniel, otherwise known as Tony S. Daniel, and Tommy Murray's Noctera has sold out and will be returning for a brand new printing. You've not read this yet. I've reviewed this over on the website. Let me give you the synopsis for this. Uh, so this is a completely original idea by Scott Snyder that went on Kickstarter and is being released through Image Comics. The first issue is already out. So ten years after the world is plunged into an everlasting night that turns all living creatures into monstrous shades, the only way to survive is to stay close to artificial light. Enter Valentina Val Riggs, a skilled ferryman who transports people and goods along deadly unlit roads with her heavily illuminated 18-wheeler. This March, legendary creator Scott Snyder, Dark Knight's Metal, and Tony S. Daniel from Batman unveil horrors beyond any shade in this extra-sized first issue. So it's done so well that it's sold out its first printing and Image is sending it back for a second printing, which is amazing news for Scott and Tony because it's a really, really great series. Well, I say series. It's a really great issue. I have reviewed it over on our website, which is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. And I said, as the title suggests, the first issue of Noctera is a full throttle debut, exquisitely paced and beautifully rendered on every page. 
It's great news for him. I mean, we're so used to seeing him work on uh, existing properties like Batman, like Justice League, and doing his own crazy stuff with them. It's really cool to see him unleashed and doing something completely original, all of his own. It's I, I really recommend that you give it a read because it's, uh, it's really good fun. Is Re- it related to Zack? No. It's a very uncommon surname, Snyder. Maybe in the UK, but maybe not in America. Hmm. Principal Snyder from Buffy. Oh, yeah. Sorry, what were we saying? Rob Schneider, the comedian, spelt quite differently. It's quite different. <laughs> uh, I was saying it's it's great to see uh, an original property do really, really well, straight off the bat, which I'm sure in part is due to the level of legendary creators behind it. But it's it's just nice to it's nice for me to read something that's not the usual. Batman. Yep. <laughs> and it's nice. It's just nice to see him being able to do something a little bit different and not being completely constrained by Batman. Yes. If you haven't checked it out, the first issue of Terror is available now in digital and in print. I'm going to guess you might struggle to get hold of it in print, but the second printing will be out very, very soon in stores. Third and final news story for today is that following the conclusion of WandaVision Season 1, which we will get to talk about, just not this week, because, you know, we've got four hours of Snyder to talk about, uh, Disney Plus has released a new series called Marvel Assembled, of which the first issue is a behind-the-scenes special for WandaVision. It clocks in at about 55-56 minutes, and it's a really nice behind-the-scenes look at the show, which shows you uh, how they did some of the stunts, the makeup, the costumes, and really delves behind the scenes on on the show. I was expecting it to be a bit of a behind-the-scenes sort of puff piece, which you quite often get in this situation, but clocking in at almost an hour long, it was a, it was a really genuine peek behind the curtain at how Marvel Studios was able to make it happen. What are you laughing at? You peek behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen hiding behind the curtain. <laughs> There's lots of interviews with the cast. There's lots of interviews with the creatives. You get to hear some of the, the development behind the show and how it they wanted it to fit into the wider universe. And it's it's well worth a watch in that space between One Division ending and Falcon and Winter Soldier beginning, uh, which is this Friday. That's it for the news this week. Get me for being quick and succinct in doing that. So let's take a deep breath and prepare to hear what you thought of Zack Snyder's Justice League. It'll be very quick. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Alrighty then, Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's available from Thursday, March the 18th. In America, it's available via HBO Max. Here in the UK, you can catch it on Sky Cinema and Now TV. You can check out the official Zack Snyder's Justice League website for international listings, which will tell you exactly where you're able to get hold of it in your country. It's going to be released on disc and waiting for confirmation on digital, uh, as in to buy on digital, in May. We currently know that it's releasing in Germany and uh, Australia on 26th, 27th of May, so expect it to drop in other countries around that time. Do I need to rattle off who stars in this film? Not really, but you'll do it anyway. you got Henry Cavill, Ben Affleck, Ray Fisher, Ezra Miller, Arthur Curry, <laughs> Jason Momoa, and uh, Gal Gadot. And then featuring, obviously, the voices of... Kieran Hines as Steppenwolf, and I believe it's Ray Porter. Yes, Ray Porter as Darkseid. I guess you could go into the the secondary characters, in which you've got Willem Dafoe, J.K. Simmons, Jeremy Irons, Joe Manganiello, Diane Lane, 
Robin Wright, Connie Nielsen, Jared Leto, Amber Heard, Amy Adams. Anybody else you want to throw in the mix while you're at it there? Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, Kersey Clemens, Harry Lennox, Joe Morton. I'll stop there, shall I? I'll stop there. Written, of course, and directed by Zack Snyder. Right, so... Uh, first of all, a big thank you from me to uh, the teams at Warner Brothers, HBO and Sky for getting us an early sneak peek at the Snyder Cut. We got to watch this over the weekend twice. For me, personally, you only sat through it once um, because four hours is quite an undertaking. I'm not going to talk at length about what we were feeling about this film beforehand. You can go back and you can hear our thoughts on it in any podcast where um, where the Snyder Cut is mentioned in, in the synopsis. I was looking forward to it but slightly on the fence you were very much on the fence and okay i'll i'll see what he does but it you know I, I don't desperately need it in my life okay so what did you think it was all right okay so that was a positive it was all right from you because it went up slightly at the end did it like that interesting <laughs> so first of all the runtime how did you feel about that four hour period how did I feel about the four hours did it feel like four hours to you did it feel like five hours did it feel like three hours uh, well you're asking me too many questions now how, am I, I how, am I feeling about the four hours before I've watched the four hours or am I feeling about the four hours during the four hours did it feel overly long is what I want to know yes Okay, it did. In, I'm guessing, not not a good way? Um, it wasn't a bad way, it was just long. So it, did, it wasn't a case whereby you were... I didn't lose the boat to live in the middle. No, but you weren't so excited that you felt like it was just gone in a flash. No. Oh, for no. want of a better phrase. No. If I was in the cinema, I wouldn't have coped. No. Or it'd be too long in the cinema chair. I do wonder what that would be like in the cinema. I do think... If I was to see it in IMAX, that would probably be quite exciting just because of the size of the screen and the epicness of the visuals. But I do wonder what it would be like in just a bog-standard cinema with the with it boxed on screen. You would need to be in like one of those Lazy Boys or Lazy Man or ones where you can pick your feet up. I think you'd call it probably a, it's like a, it's event cinema rather than just average cinema going, if that makes sense. I've never been to an event cinema. No, I mean, like, because it's a big event, you would only go and see it if you were seeing it in the right format. Oh, okay. Not like an event. Like, this is a special event. Have a stool for your feet because it's bloody long. Well, I suppose, yeah. Like, what you mean, like, secret cinema, let's dress up as superheroes and act out a story and then watch the film. Yeah. Yeah, that would work. I just mean, you you wouldn't just drive down to your local cinema where you were seeing it in the smallest screen in a normal seat where it's squished kind of thing. I mean, you want to see it on the biggest screen you possibly can and it's it's the kind of thing that you're only going to go to because you desperately just want to see it on that screen and it's the biggest format you can. Yeah, that's, that's an event. Yes. <laughs> Dictionary definition of an event. Uh, personally, I... I don't know how long it felt like. I don't have a perception of how... Well, obviously, I know how much time passed. I don't have a perception of how I felt other than at the end of it, I was like, oh, okay. That didn't feel like four hours to me. There was enough excitement for me that it, I didn't feel the passing of time during watching it. Interesting. 
You don't sound overly interested. Well, no, it's just interesting your perception of time and, you know, is time travel really possible if, you know, you have fun and time travels much faster? Mm. Well, that's for a scientific podcast about the speed force. What about the the kind of chapter structure? Do you think that would have been how it was if it was a miniseries and it would have been episodes? Do you think it would have been those individual chapters? I just assume that's why they were there and they just left them in. Because there was quite a variance in the length between the chapters. Some of them were quite long and some of them, like, uh, I think it's chapter four, uh, whenever they get to the point where they do the tunnel fight with Steppenwolf, that's really only that battle is that chapter. It's quite a short one. So I wonder how that would have worked, whether we would have had a couple of sort of hour-long episodes and then a, a really, really short one and then a couple of longer ones. Didn't quite... I, I couldn't... I, we've talked about it before, but I couldn't... I couldn't visualise whilst watching it how it would have worked as a miniseries rather than as a four-hour film. Yeah, I didn't really see the need for the chapters. When ask you which your favourite chapter was then. I know, don't do that because I wouldn't be able to tell you. That's why I've got 14 pages of notes in front of me from when I watched it the second time. Oh, I would have just picked a number like chapter five. <laughs> uh, so chapter five is actually the only chapter where I missed to write down when it begins. So... Oh, yeah, that's it. That was the favourite chapter. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> I can tell you that uh, chapter six begins uh, on the Kent farm when Superman has been resurrected and uh, part four starts on the GCPD rooftop. So somewhere in between is when part five happens. Um, anyway, that's, that's, yeah, that's an aside. You write 14 pages of notes. I did write 14 pages of notes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can hear me leafing through it in the background. Uh, you probably hear a cat chewing on it in just a second. Look at a hand cramp. I did. Uh, right. It's very difficult. I'm so glad that James is the one who's doing the written review for this that you'll find on the website because I'm not sure how I would tackle this and make it work, <laughs> which is why I'm struggling to figure out the best way to cover it in a podcast as well. Let's talk about the story. Do you feel like it was significantly different or do you feel like it was just the same story presented differently, if that makes sense? I think it was different. Okay. I don't know if I would use the term significantly different. Yeah. But it was definitely different. And I appreciated that they removed all of the fluff that I didn't like from the Whedon version. Yeah. Like all that stuff was like, oh, mother. I love you, mother. I'm like, it's a box. Jesus Christ. Why does he call it mother and talk to Mother is calling. Mother needs me. Yeah. Mother, where's my tea? So I'm glad he got rid of all that because that really grated on me. I was like, what's the point in all that? And I liked all the... It's almost like when you watch Batman v Superman. The first time you watch it, you think, this makes no sense whatsoever. What are you doing? Then you watch the extended version. You're like, oh, that's where all the story is. That makes much more sense. Yes. That's exactly what this is. I agree with you. I have had quite a few conversations with people that have watched it in the last couple of days. And there is kind of a prevailing theory that I wonder if will be lost on some people which is that this idea that the the theatrical cut was whatever it was, 19 minutes, and that this is four hours, four hours and two minutes, um, but that actually almost everything that you're seeing is different. Because when I watched this film, this version, the first time, at the end of it, I suddenly thought, what did I just see that was actually different? Because the story is essentially the same, but even the 
the scenes that we've seen before, these are alternate takes. And that's, I wonder if that will be a struggle for some people who obviously aren't kind of the hardcore group that know intimately the story of what went wrong and what's changed and why this has been done. But for a general audience member to go into it and see it as different, I wonder if that will be a struggle for some people because it's a lot of the same scenes just from a different perspective. Well, I suppose it's the the law the law the law yeah law, or it's sort of the essence of the characters and their sort of the, the theory the law mm-hmm. you can say law again and all that sort of build up behind it and the history of them all that it's in this one it pulls it all together but if you're a general audience member you probably don't really care and you probably don't really miss it or look for it as as much detail as you would if you're a die hard comic fan which is where i think this film may come unstuck in finding a wider audience i'm not sure that it will because it's very deeply rooted in dc law and a lot of the extra bits which help make this a much more tonally consistent film are deep cut dc things so i i can kind of i didn't i agree with you i didn't like all the referring to the boxes as mother 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 is calling and all that stuff but i can see that that was uh, a, an attempt by the studio and the filmmakers who were put in charge to try and make it more accessible to to a wider audience. There was, I suppose, an argument that if you aren't intimately familiar with DC Comics that you won't get that there is this planet called Apocalypse ruled over by this guy called Darkseid who has incredibly um, futuristic tech that's built into mother boxes and then these boxes can basically change any matter into something else and that he'd been to Earth previously, they'd been left here, yada, 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 yada. I just, I wonder whether that, which was absolutely amazing in this film and everything made sense to me and everything, I was like, yes, that's pulling from Jack Kirby, that's pulling from this, you know, you can see all of the different comic book sources that he was pulling from. And I just think that was amazing for me, but is it going to be amazing for people who aren't intimately familiar with it? I agree. Okay. I wasn't sure what to say to you. I disagree. <laughs> Did I just talk you into... Submission. Submission. Um, but on the flip side to that, I do think that there is a... L- I don't want to say a lot of exposition because I, I wouldn't say there was a lot of times where we were being told exactly what was going on. Uh, but I do think that there is enough explanation in there that if you are to watch it, it makes sense in context of what you're watching. But would Joel Bloggs or whoever go and sit in the cinema for four hours and two minutes? Well, four and a half hours with all the ads and everything. Unlikely. Completely unlikely. Which is why I think this film is very much for the people who want it. I think it will probably find more of an audience as time goes on because there will be a positive word of mouth about this compared to the theatrical cut. And then naturally there'll be some people who are on the fence who'll become curious, who'll watch it and hopefully enjoy it. And it will spread that way. But this really, really is for the people who wanted it. And fair play, because actually, I mean, hands down, it's a a much, much better film. So what do you... So you've just mentioned uh, the the way the mother boxes were handled in the first version compared to this version and that being an improvement. Anything else that stands out to you as things that were improved that you really appreciated? 
I think just everything tonally about it, it felt much more sort of cohesive and more of a team where the other version, what are we calling it? Just the other version. I don't even want to mention his name, given the things that this man has supposedly now done. Okay, the yellow version then. <laughs> no, you can you can say the Whedon version. He he must not be named. Mm. Um, what was I saying? It was this very like hammy, poor attempt at a Marvel film. So you touched on teamwork. So let's just focus on that for a minute because that was one thing that, I mean, I didn't I didn't find myself getting sort of emotional watching this. I wasn't sort of on the verge of tears saying this is a masterpiece, and I don't personally feel like this is the greatest dc movie ever made having watched it but that's not to say that i didn't love this and this isn't a film that i will go back to i think there's a whole other conversation about how often can you go back to a four-hour movie oh i couldn't well i mean it's so think about you and lord of the rings yeah i can go back to that it's just the fact that you need to set aside half a day (laughs) but then i would quite happily do that yeah um but anyway teamwork um so what i was saying was teamwork makes a dream work although although it didn't make me emotional watching it the thing that made me the most emotional of my kind of reaction to watching it was seeing them function as a team much more and uh, you just said it in terms of it being cohesive but i think the the theatrical cut put them together and try to enjoy and poke fun at them bickering and being dysfunctional and although they have moments of dysfunction in this it's more of a we have to come together and get the job done and actually at times it made me think what on earth were they thinking in thinking that they were making it better with the theatrical cut which is a reaction i hadn't expected but just tell me about your reaction to the teamwork well like i said it makes the dream work <laughs> and there's clearly no weeding in team because this is much better um I'd like to. I'd like to have it sort of linked everything back into Man of Steel, Batman, Superman. It sort of pulled all those themes through, and it felt more natural. Natural is probably a good word for it. It does. What will now be, I think, very exciting is to go back and watch all three together because I have often, and I, I'm not. I don't need to say it again, but I, I'm not a, a die-hard snyder fan but i have always argued that i do think if his vision at the time if his vision had been carried out properly then you would see a kind of three-act structure to superman that would end with him feeling more like superman and although there are times where i've thought maybe that's not the case it's now been proven correct there is a three-act structure to the story of superman which is you know kind of the the birth death rebirth how did I get there from teamwork? I don't know. <laughs> oh dear. That, this That's the other thing with this film is there's just so much to try and cover that I just don't know that you can feasibly dissect the whole thing, which I'm sure people will. Well, there you go. There's your film PhD. <laughs> PhD on the, the redemption of Justice League. Were there any particular kind of trying to think about teamwork? Were there any particular relationships between members of the team that you appreciated more in this version? Mm, I'm going to say no. Okay, just because I can't remember. I felt like Flash felt more like Flash. Um, we'll touch on his intro scene in a minute because that's a that's a moment of levity that we need to discuss. Um, the the tunnel sequence, which is probably the first time you see them functioning really well together, 
and I love that fight scene. It feels so much more improved to see them kind of handing off to each other and, you know, you go this way, you do this, I'll do this. You know, you're fighting over here, we'll pass the baton to each other. There's there's a functionality to the team in that scene which I really liked, but I felt like Flash was really Flash in that scene, helping people get out, and him being teamed with Cyborg felt very uh, organic to the comics, and Batman being up front fighting with Wonder Woman also as well. Still a bit of a romance between Bruce and Diana, the both hands touching the mouse at the mm-hmm. computer station thing. They still couldn't quite shake that off. Less so than the her helping him reset his shoulder on the plane or in the strange bedroom in his base that we never saw in this version. The boudoir. Yes. I guess that poses another question, which was in, in terms of the teamwork or in terms of the league together, was there anything that you didn't see that you would like to have seen now that you know how it was supposed to be? Such as? Well, I don't know. You tell me. Was there not enough of a kind of circling back on Batman and Superman or anything like that? I feel like there was not a lot of Batman. It does feel a little bit Batman-like, doesn't it? I would like a bit more Batman, but I would like a bit more Batman anyway. I was going to say, I always want a little bit more Batman. Give me a little bit more Ben and a little bit more Batman. A bit more Alfred, actually. I want to see a bit more Ben and Alfred. There were some nice scenes between Alfred and Diana. Yes. Making the tea. Don't scald the tea. <laughs> and there was some, still some nice scenes between Bruce and Alfred. I particularly liked uh, where he kind of used resurrecting Superman as a charging bull analogy and waving the red cape. I felt like as much as Alfred can be a slightly comedic foil in this there was still a moment there where Alfred pulled Bruce aside and said, hang on a minute, is this the right idea? Is this the right plan? So I kind of liked that he was still a conscience for Bruce as well. Just taking each of those kind of heroic characters for a second. So Batman, I think we both agree we could have used a little bit more. Nice to see him uh, kind of more affected by the death of Superman and using that to probably become closer to the Batman we would know from the comics and the kind of Dark Knight Returns Batman that we had in in Batman vs. Superman. Uh, What about Wonder Woman in general? How do you feel about Wonder Woman in this version of the cut? I don't know. It's really difficult because she's a very different Wonder Woman to Patty's Wonder Mm, Woman. And after watching 84 and and the first Wonder Woman Mm -hmm. 1914 or whatever it is, um, her sort of how she got to there doesn't really match up. It still me. doesn't mesh, does it? She's she's a bit where we leave her in eighty four to where she is now is quite different. Yeah. Eighty four she was, Oh, I don't need a sword anymore, I'm all gonna be lasso and stuff and this one she's a bit more like, Ah, I'm a warrior. I suppose that circles back to this whole I stepped away from humanity for a hundred years thing, which Snyder was very adamant that he wanted it in the Crimean War and we've seen the the original photo which was supposed to be the photo in Batman vs. Superman, where she's there holding the severed heads and she's much more of an aggressor. And that Patty Jenkins felt that wasn't necessarily the most honest portrayal of Wonder Woman and stepped away from that and did something that feels more like the comic book Wonder Woman. So yeah, there is a there is a genuine disconnect there. I think the other thing to think about here as well is probably the fact that this is R-rated in America. So they are there. There are multiple f bombs. There are uh, there is 
blood in certain scenes as well, I noticed on my second watch. So this is... It's slightly more no-holds-barred than Patty's version, but no-holds-barred doesn't necessarily mean that she needs to not quite be herself, and I, I know what you mean. And she is slightly relegated to storyteller just because of the Amazon connection to the history of Darkseid invading Earth. That, yeah, I I enjoyed her. Uh, do I want to ask you what you thought about the little new snippet of Themyscira sort of music that was in the score? Oh, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. <laughs> it's a little bit repetitive, that, that motif, uh, that kind of Eastern European vocalisation is, is quite repetitive throughout the film. But it was nice to hear uh, Hans Zimmer's theme used as well, though, at the same time. It just felt a bit... I think once would have been enough, but not every time she was on screen. It just didn't fit with the rest of the music. It was a bit too 300 for me. It did feel quite different to the rest of the music, didn't it? And I do, I really like 300. It just didn't really fit. Hmm. I know what you mean. Okay, what about Superman? What about him? Very much a presence across the four hours and only really physically present for some of it. But... I guess his is a performance that is the most criticised from the theatrical cut just because... The Tash. Exactly. And that's not Henry Cavill's fault. That's just how, for some reason, the infamous director of the reshoots felt it was going to go. So I would argue that this is a massive redemption for Henry Cavill's Superman, really. Yeah, it's very different, isn't it? It's very different how he comes back, how he finds himself... And how he integrates with the team. Mm. Yep. I think it feels much more like Superman in a very, very quick arc that goes from I was dead, I'm now alive, I don't know who to trust, to what is now quite a beautiful, hopeful scene of him in the the cornfield at Kent Farm to him putting the suit... I was going to say suit back on, but it's not the same suit, obviously. It's now the black suit. And... Draining the league. To that, when do we see him like? Oh, the last time we see him is the shirt rip, um, which I thought was a reshoot. So I was surprised that it was still in there because it's not. It's a Zack Snyder shot. But I was interested and would love to get the chance to ask why. Firstly, he's obviously he seems to be Clark Kent again in that shot. So how have they resurrected Clark? But why he's still wearing a black suit under the shirt? I was really surprised by that. Maybe he likes it. True. I mean, he does wear it for a, a period of time in the comic book. I just... I My anticipation was, or my expectation was, that he would wear the black suit for uh, his resurrection and for his time joining the League and fighting Steppenwolf. And that at the end of the film, we would kind of see him accept his... Man of Tomorrow, Man of Steel, heroic mantle again, and put the old suit back on. So I thought we would have seen the the normal suit, but we we didn't. Maybe it was the light. <laughs> no, no, it was definitely the black suit. But anyway, tell me, tell me your thoughts on on Cavill in this. I mean, it was it was alright. I mean, he was a good Superman. He had a very cohesive arc. There was no funny lip. Nope. I was all for it. Did you want something a bit more deep and meaningful? 
No, 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 not if you don't have anything to say. I just, I wondered what it, what, whether you had any more of a sort of visceral reaction to to this version of the character. No, no, there was no, there was no viscerals. My viscerai was intact. So on to uh, the Flash. Let's this. Let's talk about the Flash for a sec. Let's be quick about this one. Oh. <laughs> uh, introduction scene was one of the only deleted scenes on the previous home video release. So we've seen a kind of previous version of this with Iris, uh, Kirsi Clemens playing Iris. Uh, now we get the full scene as it was meant to be. And I don't quite know what to think. Oh, is this the sausage? <laughs> is this the sausage? I don't know. It's a bit weird. Yeah. It was an odd focus on a slow-mo sausage. So let's let's ignore the sausage for a minute. Um, Barry I, Allen... Uh, I just feel like it's looking at me, though. I, just, I don't know if I can. <laughs> Barry Allen goes for a job interview at like a dog-walking place, meets Iris. Uh, she's a little bit distracted trying to start her car. Truck driver's a little bit distracted by his big belly burger. He smashes into a hot dog stand, in turn smashes into her car. She goes flying. He busts through the window and uh, rescues it. So what, again, ignoring the sausage, what do you think of the scene? Um, it, it was a good scene. Had, what do you think about the, um, the speed force kind of effects? So uh, I guess first you see his shoes breaking apart. So... Uh, the idea is that his interaction with matter is very different when he's using the speed force. So the shoes break apart and he's barefoot. And then the way he pushes through the glass. What do you think about some of those special effects? Those were really well done. It was nice to see them not just do a simple, everything around him is slow. I felt like there was a lot of thought put into his kind of scientific interactions with with the matter around him. So I, I appreciate that. I felt like this was one of the slow-mo scenes that maybe went on a little bit too long. I mean, there was a lot of slow-mo in general. A lot. It seemed to me like there was a lot of slow-mo in the kind of first hour, hour and a half, and then not very much in the middle, and then a little bit more again towards the end. I mean, I feel like I could probably shave an hour off the film just by speeding up some of the slow-mo. That would probably be one of my biggest gripes with the film, would be the amount of times that there was slow-mo. So this, this scene in particular, to me, felt very very long and could have been slightly sped up i think there's for me this scene was the one that felt the most disjointed so kind of an exorbitant amount of slow-mo but good good action that was taking place on screen i have nothing against the you know the the accident the way he saved her just that it happened a little bit too long on screen but paired with quite a I'm going to use the word maudlin song, of which there are several quite maudlin songs in this film. Snyder seems to have a bit of a penchant for a maudlin tune. So the the kind of the mix of the action and the song, and the fact that it was then underpinned by this joke about him not doing very well in the job interview, and thinking, whilst saving her, I'm going to take a slow-mo flying sausage from the hot dogs. So this is all because the hot dog stand has been hit by the truck and sent all the food flying. And then... When everything will go back to normal, I'll get myself the job at the dog walking place because I'll feed the dogs a sausage. I didn't feel like the joke landed, and I felt like those three elements, the slow-mo action with the kind of romantic undercurrent, the the music, and the sausage joke, I didn't feel like the three worked together very well at all. No. It was just a bit weird. Yeah. 
That was what I was trying to say, but I was trying to tell you why. Oh, well, I'd, I'd, a slow-mo sausage. I mean, does you need to have any more explanation or explanation than that? No. <laughs> that aside, I feel more... Well, actually, I've, I've always said that I was a, quite anticipating his Flash movie because I do quite like Ezra Miller um, and I do think he's good in the role. But I feel like I got a better understanding of his characterization of the Flash in this version of the film. With characterization. Yes. Yes. He suffered from some quite obvious reshoots, like the brunch thing in his laboratory when he's with um when he's with Bruce. There's that really obvious moment where he's been green screened into a still shot of his background and his hair is completely different and I, I felt like he was quite short changed by the theatrical cut. I don't know what your thoughts are. Um yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's a different take on his character. Just a little bit more flashy than just sort of there's a, a quick joke. One of the big things that's missing from this version, and is very different in this version, is him during the tunnel scene. Here he helps rescue the hostages. And obviously there's a very big show of the speed force towards the end of the film as well in the third act. But from that tunnel scene, what we had in the first version of the film was the him being incredibly nervous and saying, I've never done anything like this. I've just I've just pushed some people and run away. Yeah, that's interesting because if you think when he's talking to Bruce and he knows gorilla sing language. Yeah. We're clearly suggesting that there's more of a history here. Yeah, so you'd uh, you were sort of changing that to he's an established hero that, you know, has gone up against villains and can hold his own. And obviously in Suicide Squad, there the the scene of uh Boomerang being uh, being arrested is Flash busting him in the middle of a bank vault and that's not a new Flash that's a Flash who knows what he's doing so for him to go from that film to the theatrical version of Justice League going I've just pushed some people and run away this is a much more consistent version of his character the representation of the speed force uh, in the third act of this film I think is spectacular mm, it's very well done it's incredibly well done and he actually kind of becomes the hero of the film in some respect, for saving the world. He is the one who saves the world. And it's, it sort of alludes to Flashpoint and that, oh, I can't run too quickly because, you know... Time travel. Stuff happens. Yeah. And th- that then becomes, for me, another moment where I was watching this film and thought, what the hell were they thinking in changing it to the way it's represented in a the theatrical cut? Because it was... Okay, it wasn't a straight-up performance from the comics, but neither would I say is Grant Gustin's. But it was... I mean, he had speed force powers, there was time travel, there were references that are straight out of the comics, and yet they took all of that out. So I just... I I would almost argue that it's probably Cyborg, Aquaman, and Flash that are the most different here and benefit the most from the new version. Cyborg... Uh, I was I was going to leave him to last, but let's let's go for Cyborg. I mean, it's almost like a totally different character. Yeah, I mean, you, you sort of you lose everything about his character in the the old version. And I am the version one, that must not be named. Yeah, I am one to see the best in people, and I would never like to. I mean, clearly, Joss Whedon is a 
asshole. So we'll put that out there. But oh, we're going there. Yeah, but I would so my reference was going to be to Jeff Johns because Jeff Johns is somebody who I always looked up to as a comic book writer, and so I was very saddened by the fact that he potentially is quite a racist. Uh, so I kind of didn't want to see that of the theatrical cut and Ray Fisher kind of saying, you know, they took everything out because I'm a black man and they didn't like me, um, which is an incredible oversimplification of the situation. But actually, when you see how much Zack Snyder shot for the character of Cyborg, which has now been restored, you do have to kind of think, so we lost a little bit of Flash. We lost a little bit of Aquaman. We did basically lose the entire of Cyborg. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? And it was such an important storyline because he was sort of the essence of the mother box explaining yeah. everything that's going on. But then because they changed what the mother boxes were and all those squares and stuff... It kind of goes hand in hand with some of the changes that they made. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, they could have kept all the stuff about his dad dying and the football and his mum. Fl- so, origin story was very, uh, very on point, correct, as far as I can recall off the comics, uh, for me. So that was great to see. I do, I do question whether when you run into A&E that the Doctor would go, Oh, hello, Mr. Stone. Uh, sorry, your wife's dead. <laughs> And your son's dying. But, you know, we didn't have a lot of time to get through that scene and they were trying to keep the pace up. So I'll forgive them that. But I thought it was, other than other than some slightly harsh words from the Doctor about the fact that his family had been massacred, um, I thought that was quite a good overall origin for him. And interesting that people thought beforehand it was going to be a quite a large chunk in the middle. And although it was longer, it was, it was split up a little bit because we obviously got some later on when he was talking about mother boxes. But... Whilst I don't know that I fully agree with Snyder saying he's the heart of the movie, he's very much a central point in it, as you just said, because of his connection to all of the tech and everything. What do you think of the way they represented his uh, interaction with systems? Very Matrix. I Mm. like that. So I was trying to remember when I was watching the second time what it was like in the theatrical cut, because there was a similar-ish scene where you saw him looking at what was like a computer screen like holographic computer screen in front of him and that was totally different and that was all we actually saw in the theatrical version whereas i thought it was really clever for him inside himself or inside that kind of matrix world to be visualized as himself uninjured uh both an opportunity for him to act not in a complete green screen suit but also to to interact with the world in a different way and it just made it much more visually interesting I'm nodding, sorry. You're nodding. Nodding, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to get some sort of laminated sign to hold up that's like, you're nodding, it's a podcast. Yeah, applause. Um, yeah, uh, what were you saying? Cyborg, good. More Cyborg, it was good. I like the visual representation when he goes in his mind. Oh, well saved. Yeah. Were you, were you looking at your phone again? No, I've got a cat money. <laughs> it was, yeah. I'm just trying to reflect on some of that stuff as well. It was interesting how that then interacted with explaining the story of the mother box that was looked after by the world of man as well. So there's we've seen that shot many, many times before of him walking in his um, sports jacket and stuff, but never in any version that we've seen of it did it have a Nazi backdrop. So it was interesting how that scene has been perceived to be part of his origin, but actually was something completely different in the film itself. 
Yeah, that was a bit daft, wasn't it? Let's give this box to men who'll bury it two centimetres under a daisy <laughs> and wonder why it's been discovered. Yeah, well, he didn't do a very good job of burying it in his own grave either. Um, on the topic of mother boxes, actually, I realise we need to talk about Aquaman uh, and we're clocking in at 45 minutes on this as we're recording, uh, but I just wanted to cover off something else about this film while I remember it, which is how some of the most slight changes or like just an extra snippet of information makes things make sense so much more. So I never, in the theatrical cut, I don't know that I questioned it particularly, but I never really put two and two together on how the very sleek mother box then each looked different. But here you got the explanation of man welded it in iron, the the um I was about to call them the Aquamanians. The Atlanteans uh, covered it in like squid ink and solidified it. And then uh, the Amazonians, the Themyscarians used some kind of light technology to build a force field around it. And that that was about hiding them so that if they were active, maybe Darkseid wouldn't hear. Just a tiny, tiny change that makes a small visual cue make sense. Another good example that, again, sorry, I'm digressing just because it's on the forefront of my mind where Diana works. So in the theatrical cut, that scene of her um, kind of dusting the statue when she finds out that the Amazon temple has been lit, it's it's shorter. You only see BBC News, which to us is normal. We see it every day on on TV. And the only colleague that she interacts with is the British guy. So... I, I never perceived that as the Louvre, where she works in the first Wonder Woman. But in this version, there's like a two-second establishing shot of the Louvre, and she speaks to both the British guy, from who we also saw in the theatrical, and a French colleague. And suddenly, I have a nice, smooth connection to Wonder Woman, because we know that in the present day, she works in the Louvre. Which just made a nice through point of the universe for me, which was missed. And it was just a, one, it was just a tiny little thing. Just that shot of the Louvre, and all that was all it needed. It's just interesting how stuff like that makes it aesthetically very different and fit into the universe a bit more. Anyway, Aquaman. Last of the uh, Justice League. <laughs> we get Volko, who wasn't in the theatrical cut whatsoever. Uh, Willem Dafoe, who is also obviously in uh, the Aquaman movie. And a bit more of Mira and a lot more of where Arthur is in his head in his relationship with the Atlanteans. So thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a shame that this has come after Aquaman, the film. Yeah. Because that was so well done with all the underwater talky-talky that it was a little bit... It's a bit of a step backwards to go back to the air bubbles. Yeah, the air bubbles put it off and then sort of the the fact that Amber Heard, is that her name? Mm-hmm. had a different accent. Yeah, she does have a different accent. She's quite British in this. That threw me off a bit and... Willem Dafoe's hair was very scraggly when it was a bit he was a bit more sort of established warrior father type figure and it was a bit different so the dynamics they didn't quite match up for me but I think it was nice to see more of a a journey of how he got the armor how he got his trident and that all kind of came together a bit nicer and cleaner for me I think I absolutely agree. Because in the theatrical, it's just like, I'm here. Oh, have this. Go and save the world. Okay, then. 
Whereas this is a bit more, well, I don't really want to save the world. I don't really like you very much. But, but you've got to. Here's your mum's stuff. Avenger. And then it kind of comes together a bit more. I couldn't put it better, actually. That is, it just... Really? I, no, I could not put it better. I thought you'd do big words like characterization and falubandoon and other stuff. <laughs> falubandoon? Well, I don't know. He talks like film words. No, no, you're, no but you, you hit on it. Exactly. It's just, it... There was so much more detail here that makes everything make sense and ties in to what eventually becomes Aquaman. I do... I think the the air bubbles are ridiculous, but Snyder felt like people being able to talk underwater was ridiculous, and he said that he isn't particularly... Not criticised, but the way it's done in Aquaman is not the way that he did it, and it's not the way he would do it. He felt like if they were going to talk, they would need air in their lungs, and to have air in their lungs, they wouldn't be breathing underwater, so they couldn't. That's why he did that, and that's why there is a scene in this that, again, is not in the theatrical, where Amber Heard briefly sort of speaks to a couple of guards through those fish kind of weird clicks and noises. And that is, he, he had established in his script a language for when they don't use air bubbles and a language for when they need to speak man's language. Because why do they? Why would they speak man's language? They're not in man's world. Well, I'm not going to say that. Don't do it. <laughs> um, I don't think there's much else to say on Aquaman, really. I like the slight change in how he arrives. He actually, do you know what? He arrives differently in a couple of his scenes. So he arrives to save Mira slightly differently. So that scene where uh, Steppenwolf attacks the and takes the mother box from Atlantis, he arrives literally as um, Steppenwolf's about to kill her and kind of stops him. And when he arrives in the tunnel scene, he doesn't just appear in front of the water. He rides the wave in and then blocks the water. Uh, I just felt like overall he was a... He was a more well-presented version of himself. I will admit that one of the only scenes from the theatrical version that I was sad to lose was him sitting on a lasso of truth. Yeah, I mean, that was all right. That was funny, but I don't know if it would have fit in. There's a different sort of perspective on it now than if it was just, this is the Snyder Cut, Joss Whedon isn't an arsehole, but Joss Whedon being an arsehole means I can live with it. Yeah. So I quite liked when he swoops in to save Mira and well just before that and she's like oh that damn arm he won't give us any more cards I'm like oh that's a nice wee link yes. to Aquamani. Well because they were setting up this idea of Lex Luthor having the Injustice League and that being Black Manta, Orm, Doctor Poison, Captain Cold oh. for the next one. That's the League. So I'm, re- I'm really really conscious of time because we're running up to 50 minutes now and there's still a few bits to cover. Uh, what's your I- your idea? <laughs> What's your idea for a sequel? No. Well, let me pitch um, it to you. What's your take Condiment on um, Steppenwolf Mark II? Uh, I'm not a massive fan of the CGI armour. I don't know why. There was something about it I couldn't take to. But I liked it when you took it off. All right. Not, not in a weird way. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, where do I take that? It's um, not some like weird like alien fetish. I'm just meaning it was nice to see that he could take it off and what he actually looked like. Yes. So that wasn't. It wasn't just that he was some kind of weird metal shard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sort of like moved around like some. I too was not convinced by um, the new armor. Just, I absolutely wanted him to be done and rendered better and not look like a, a PlayStation Two cast off, but. I wasn't sure about the design of it. What I did really appreciate was how it moved. Did you notice how it was constantly moving? Yeah, it made my eyes go a bit weird. 
there was a lot of very minute detail in it which i really appreciated so when the little spikes were moving for certain reasons they would reflect light differently and i did quite like the visual effect that it created i still yeah like you i'm still not 100 percent sold on the design of the the outfit itself but I'd, I'd like the change in his character from being more of a yes or dark side than oh god i'm really sorry dark side love me again please i mean in the theatrical cut he doesn't have a motivation no he's just there isn't he? he's just like whereas now intergalactic bully i was a bit like he tried to overthrow dark side what the hell did he do what made him do that well families families indeed but it was nice for him to have a motivation and it was interesting to see him be so desperate for like dad's love and attention it was basically daddy issues and he did have quite a gruesome end he did so what did he okay uh i'm trying to remember what happened in the theatrical cut he does lose his head in the theatrical cut as well doesn't he no they sort of leave him to the parademons to yes the parademons eat him alive and he disappears up a boom tube and you don't really know what happened to him it's the helmet that falls off isn't it thank you it's been a while since i've watched the theatrical i do kind of want to go back and see it I'd always said once this was out, I wouldn't go back to it. But now I'm intrigued to go back to it and see how I feel about it now. Um, but yes, he does meet a much more gruesome end with his head rolling to the feet of Darkseid. And then it gets a bit squishy. I must remember to put a spoiler um, warning yeah, so at the beginning not, of this. If you've not watched it... <laughs> ah! uh, the, the, every piece of social media that goes around the release of this podcast will, will say, Spoilers! Spoilers! Um... Which leads us to Darkseid. Now, Darkseid! Actually, it's worth noting that I do think they'd augmented his voice a bit more. I think his voice was different. I mean, it's the same, same dialogue, same actor. But I felt like they'd edited his voice slightly differently. And it, was a bit more menac- <sighs> it was a bit more menacing. Um, <sighs> as was Darkseid's voice. So, what I was just about to say was, I do think there will be a few people who are disappointed by the amount of Darkseid in this film. I do wonder whether people think there's going to be some kind of like dark side takes on Superman. And they do stare at each other at one point, but um, that's it, really. He isn't, you know, he isn't on Earth. He's very much elsewhere, overseeing from a distance. So I do wonder about whether there'll be some disappointment there for the amount of dark side. But what do you think about the amount of dark side that we do get? I mean, that's more than I was expecting, so... It was nice to have him there. It was nice to have the the dark side fam. So what were you expecting? I wasn't really expecting anything. Were you thinking he might just appear at the end and be like, oh, what happened here? He'd just be like, hmm, mm. dark side angry. <laughs> okay. I thought that considering he was added in later, he was rendered really well. I was worried that he might be a kind of cheap sort of bonus visual effect, but actually, no, he looked really good. I like that there was quite a good definition between the young version, who we see in the flashback, which, by the way, is epic this time around. Would you not agree? Yes. Do you know what I just asked you? Because you were looking at your phone. No, you said it was epic. I agree. Okay. And the uh, the older version that we see later in the film. I like that there was a definition between the two. Would you like to see more of him? Would you like to see Henry Cavill Superman take on that dark side? I'm, I'm going to say I wouldn't mind it, but there's a, probably another duo that I would rather see more of based on this film. Ooh, which is? probably a bit more of Ben and Jared okay yeah we'll get to that in just a second uh I just wanted to touch on with Darkseid some of the the nightmare stuff 
so there's obviously two parts to the nightmare. Um, were you kind of thinking there was going to be more nightmare than there was? It just it felt a bit out of place to me. I was surprised by the fact that I went, oh, reshoot with this a little bit. It felt like... I mean, clearly Snyder had always wanted to do it, but it felt like adding in The Road to Nowhere if there's never, ever a sequel. Mm. I do feel like the scene that happens before The Nightmare was a potentially perfect ending to a film that may never have a sequel whereas this made me it cemented the fact that there is more story to be told but felt like I was being teased with something that was unnecessary you're never going to get it potentially anyway um, sorry my dark side point with Nightmare was um, there's a point in the film where uh, Cyborg is interacting with the mother boxes and has a flash of how we get from present day to Nightmare what did you think about that sequence? There was Omega Beams, there was a dead Wonder Woman, there was a dead Lois, there was a flash of the Robin suit. There was a lot to unpick in that sequence. What did you think of it? It was quite intense. I just wondered... I don't know. I don't really quite understand what happened. Is it because Cyborg was in the mother boxes and they were showing him a potential future? Was it because Flash had touched him at the same time and he had looked into the Speed Force and saw an alternate universe? Did Flash touch him as he ran past him? I think he sort of touched him a little bit. That's my that's what I, my impression right. of it was. Yes, that would make more sense than the mother boxes showing him a potential future that happens to be the same future that Bruce Wayne happened to see, because <laughs> otherwise it's a little bit tenuous. But that is from Snyder's outline of what he would have done in Justice League two and three. That is, those are the steps that would have taken us to the nightmare. So uh, Wonder Woman would die trying to protect Lois because Darkseid. Um, identifies that she is the the thing that gives Superman hope. So if you kill her, he has no hope and he will succumb to anti-life. So Wonder Woman dies trying to protect her. Uh, Darkseid catches up to Super, to Lois and Batman in um, the Batcave. He completely eviscerates her. He's already killed Aquaman in Atlantis, Omega Beams, and Superman crying over her burnt corpse kneels to Darkseid. And that's what leads us to where we are. Really interesting, because Henry Cavill wasn't available for reshoots, use of Man of Steel footage in that shot, which is really obvious but completely forgivable because it wasn't available. Um, but very out of nowhere, whoa, tantalising little sequence there, I thought. Mm. And then uh, that leads to the to what you just alluded to, which is the, the final nightmare scene at the end of the film featuring Jared Leto. Uh, I guess there's a lot of Robin talk there, which puts this squarely in your territory. So, Boy Wonder, give us your thoughts. Well, I really liked it. I mean, it's the sort of the Joker that we really should have had in Suicide Squad. Remembering that he's talking about Dick Grayson as well, not Tim Drake. Yeah, not Tim to... Drake. I didn't mean Tim Drake at all. I meant Jason Todd. Sorry. I'm trying not to think about that, though, because it upsets me. Um, but he's sort of that portrayal of the Joker and that relationship is what we really should have had in Suicide Squad, not this sort of crazed, tattooed gangster yeah it's toned down a lot isn't it it felt more like a joker like a really good joker like a, oh my god that would be an amazing joker to see give me more of that his voice felt slightly different to I'd how he used four it hours of that. 
his voice felt slightly different to me to how he used it in Suicide Squad. I suppose he's a different, isn't he? He's more battle worn. Yeah. He's, he's gone through some stuff. You know, the relationship between those two is quite strained and different. So yeah, more of that. Just give me more of that. What did you think about the rest of the stuff that happens in that scene around it? Um, I, I do you know I completely is blown out of the water by those two. Yeah, that's true. It is. It feels very much like set up for them. So you've got a CGI Ezra Miller, because I don't think he was there for the reshoots, and that's why he doesn't speak. Um, who else you got? You got Cyborg. You've got Mira, and you have uh, Deathstroke. Should I see more of Joe Manganiello as Deathstroke? Mm. Albeit very briefly, would like to see more of that character for sure. I just I, I'm so torn on it because it's a huge moment having that Batman and Joker on screen together. But at the same time, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. Well, I mean, you're just supposed to send all your love to Ben and say we love you, Ben. Ignore all that stuff that happened. World's bad press for some reason because it wasn't really your fault. Yep. It was that bad man again. That arse. Yep, that he who shall not be named. And you know, just just come back. Just do one with you two. You and Jared. <laughs> just the two of us. Uh sorry. Yeah. And then it'll be fine. Then you can retire. I do wonder, so Zack Snyder has said if he was to now have a sequel by some miracle, be it on HBO Max, be it however it happens, that he would eject his ideas that have now been very well publicised as to what would happen in the next two films. Uh, So there are full synopses out there. I mean, the full story plot is out there for those two. He has given it out there into the world for people to read. Um, and he's he has another idea in mind, so I wonder how he would change it, knowing that he still has to write himself out of this potential future. I mean, he's had a long time to think about it. It's been a long time since it changed, a lot's happened. Mm. There's so much story in there to mine. I mean, you, you could still get to that nightmare state by a hundred different ways. This is very true. I mean, you've got an anti-life equation, you've got apocalypse, you've got dark side, you've got, you know, crazy mass and haps is going to happen. I'm conscious that we are now at this point in time clocking in at an hour around Justice League. So I before think we wrap it up here. Yeah, before we sign off, I just wanted to look at it in broad terms. I'm going to, uh, there's, uh, there's no argument that it's improved things massively. Was there anything that you enjoyed from the first one not knowing which one of the directors had masterminded it that you felt was missing from this one? Just more Batman. I missed the scene on the roof with the goon. I actually do like that scene. The Batman swooping off the gargoyle and doing the kind of backflip off the water tower. I, I for some reason in my head, had that that was a Snyder scene when it wasn't. It was a Whedon scene. Um, but I do think that was a nice little essence of Batman moment that wasn't in this version. I would like a little bit more Bat family, but then I always do. <laughs> That's probably about it for me, really. And was there anything uh, in this version that you felt didn't work? The slow-mo and the Amazonian wheel. Well, I mean, we've not even touched on characters that, other than Darkseid that, were in, that weren't in the theatrical that are in it. You've got Ryan Choi now. 
who will eventually become Atom. You've got much more Silas Stone. You've got a little bit more Martha in there. You've got more of uh, Harry Lennox as General Swanick and the eventual reveal that he is Martian Manhunter. That's not a spoiler. That's well confirmed. And he's now even been seen in one of the trailers. There's just... There is... There's no way that you could argue this film isn't for a DC fan rather than a general audience fan. There is, it, it is a comic book personified on screen. Well, I mean, I think we've just proven the fact that it isn't because when you try to make it for a general audience, you have to chop it up so much. It's like a pile of tripe. It does worry me that there isn't a a way or we haven't found someone who has the right way to do a Justice League film that will be that will have broad appeal without being a carbon copy of what Marvel does. That is a genuine concern. And I still think that Snyder's universe is darker than the the mainstream DC universe in comics. I I will argue until I'm blue in the face that there is a lot of elements of say something more injustice you know as in the video game uh like in in snyder's world that his his points of reference that he takes are things like injustice are things like the dark knight returns which are else worlds in some respects darker versions of the dc universe so i i do still wonder whether this is somewhere that should I don't want to say the word relegated, that's not the right word, but what I was going to say was relegated to the multiverse, if you get what I mean. Like, is this is a darker corner of the DC multiverse as it now exists in multimedia, and that there should be a a mainstream universe somewhere where, where it is a little more... Again, comic accurate is not the right word, but more reflective of the the amount of hope and optimism which exists in the DC universe. But I feel like this rounds out that darkness of Man of Steel. It's like, um, you won't be able to visualise this because it's a podcast, but it's like Man of Steel starts out at a certain level of darkness, it drops in in Batman versus Superman at a low point with the death and then bounces back up to a point of levity in this one. But it's not quite there for me yet in terms of it being the DC Universe on film. Well, I mean, that's a summer and a half, isn't it? Sorry, it was quite long. It was quite long. You just said it's a you. Mm-hmm. Little... Sorry, I'm I'm losing my voice. I had to take a drink there. Your little loop-de-loop explanation with hands and graphs and everything. I would just say it was a good film. I mean, it's not it's not a Marvel happy, clappy, no consequences. It's a good. Bit, it's dark. There's a lot of stuff in there. If you're a diehard comic fan, you'll love it. If you're a mainstream audience, you probably a little bit too long for you. Cat's got the sneezes. And that was it, really. I didn't mean that to say, uh, like, I, I don't... Like, it has to be comic accurate. I, I just mean my interpretation... I've not yet seen my ideal of the DC Universe reflected in what Snyder is doing. Well, maybe you should pitch something. <laughs> Obviously, I could do better. Uh, I'd like to see you try. <laughs> you've mentioned the the Amazon music, but other than that, what do you think of the new score? Yeah, it was it was alright. It was good. It was long. Was the soundtrack album is out on Thursday, same day as the film. Fifty four tracks of music, so I look forward to giving it a listen. Given that some scenes had leaked before this 
um, and that there had been some questions around the, the level of visual effects. Were you happy with what you saw? Uh, yeah. Did it still feel cinematic or did you feel like it had slightly... Could you re- tell that it was, air quotes, made for TV? Yeah. Just one scene with Lex Luthor who was clicked and oh dropped my God, in the pool. Lex that Luthor. Was that was like a Supergirl click and drag. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> other than that, everything else was fine. Said, yeah. Other than that, I thought it was really... I would agree with you. Other than that, I felt like everything else in this film worked really well. I think I've talked myself out. Uh, there's nothing else in my notes that I can see that's worthwhile saying. Um, action is great. Characters are great. Score is great. Effects are great. It's great. Great. And we're done. Then I think we're done. So Zack Snyder's Justice League comes to Sky Cinema and Now TV here in the UK on Thursday, March the 18th, 2021. In America, it's available on HBO Max. As I said at the beginning, check the official website for local listings to find out where you can get it in your country. It will come to home video later in the year. Written review by the wonderful James from our team will be on the website very, very soon. Probably may even be there by the time this podcast comes out. So be able to see his thoughts as well. As always, thank you for listening. Hello to Claire, our Patreon. Hello. As always, if anybody else wants to join, it's there, patreon.com forward slash gamecomicon. Until next time, when we'll be talking about WandaVision and the beginning of uh, Falcon Winter Soldier and maybe also a bit of Invincible on Amazon Prime spicing up our comic book viewing. Stay safe, stay well, and yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.